Uh, all right, we are we are recording live. That means you know. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast of Do You Know the Mob? I'm your co-host Sam Bren, and right beside me, folks, you know him. He loves dolphins. He likes long walks on the beach. He has blue eyes, and man, does he have a good voice for podcasting. Give it up for... The Brandon Ellis, lover of all things that swim in the ocean. How'd you like that intro? That might be my best one for you, yeah. How did you know I love dolphins? Did you see my calendar up in my room? (laughs) Well, you know, I like to think I I know my co-host pretty well. But we have an even more special guest, Brandon. Would you like to introduce everybody to your, as my grandma says, your special friend? My special friend, I'll try to match your wonderful announcement, but the wind behind my sails, <laughs> my lovely wife, Hannah Ellis. Hannah, I was it? Love dolphins. <laughs> For the record, she also loves dolphins. Hannah, did you ever, uh, is it, was it a challenge to not say Hannah Bell when like you introduced yourself to a new job or to someone, you know? Yes, it actually was just a second ago. It's a it's a <laughs> habit I have to break. Well, yeah, you wouldn't think we're over a year into our marriage, but maybe <laughs> one day. Um, so Brandon, I was telling you earlier, I got to go to this uh, to the uh, National Infantry Museum, but I went with my friend and his wife, and they have a ten month old, and oh, it's just weird seeing my friend with a baby. <laughs> it is weird. Was it weird seeing a baby in a military? museum uh a little bit <laughs> she liked the echoes so she kept making noises to hear that hear herself echo it was pretty funny mm. wow yeah wow. but we have hannah on because you know well first off brandon i had to tell you my my best friend growing up shout out to cameron baker he was asking us several times why when's your next podcast coming out and i'm like oh the fans you know brandon the fame the fans we gotta do it for the Getting fans people fast. well we we hate to, uh, we have to, we had to, we need to apologize. We need to say sorry. You know, I had a little bit of COVID, uh, and then Brandon had had uh, to go to Oklahoma for, uh, he had a funeral to go to. So sorry, folks, but we're back. We're back, and we are here to stay, or at least as far as I know. We're so. here to stay, folks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The mob works 24 hours. We work 24 hours. But so anyways, my best friend, Brandon, he was saying, you know, I like the trivia maybe more than the... Uh, <laughs> the content. I was like, well, not the purpose, but we'll take what we can get. We'll take what we can get. <laughs> so um, since you have Hannah to help you out, I think I'll try to give you a little bit of a tougher, you know, trivia if I if I can. Good. But Hannah, feel free to help your husband. We're going to go back to our top 10 list. So this is going to be top 10 Emmys won by a TV show. Okay. So the TV shows that have won the most Emmys, uh, not nominations. We're going off actual winning, okay? So it's kind of tough because there's a lot to choose from. But give it your best shot. Name the top ten that you think have won the most Emmys uh, ever. Law and Order. Sorry, say that again? Law and Order. Oh, Law and Order, okay. I don't know which one. Uh, There's (laughs) 20 of them. Um, What's another one, honey? I'm going to guess... 30 Rock. Oh, okay. Ooh. The sitcom life. Oh, 
All right. The Office, just because it's iconic. We'll go Parks and Rec as well. Okay, so there's four. But we'll go with it. Um, some other ones. And here's your hint. Think all over the place. I would say a lot of these, there. you kind of got a little bit of every uh, genre, I feel like. So, I don't know if that's really yeah. helpful, actually. But <laughs> go, go some more. Modern Family. Okay. So, there's five. MASH. Oh, okay. Good, good, good idea. There's six. Um, Mash is a classic. What uh, is uh, Mayberry? Uh, oh, Andy Griffith Show? Andy Griffith Show. That's a wild okay. one. That's I'll, a wild uh, one. All over the place. You know, in my dad's heart, that would be the number one. <laughs> we'll keep it, though. Brandon, can you, uh, are you able to whistle? No, I uh, can't. Hannah, can I, you? I was thinking three days ago I need to look up how to whistle. I was wondering if they, my dad does the Andy Griffith show uh, whistle. It's kind of funny. But anyways, that's something for you to work on, Hannah. <laughs> yeah, I guess two more we got. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. I got a thing. A TV show. A TV show. Yep. Any television show goes, uh, you know, no matter how old or recent. And this is a tough one because there's a lot of TV shows that have been made. <laughs> friends? I'm going to guess Friends for one. Yep, sure. And do we have one left? I think you have two left, actually. Okay. Yeah, I have a wild card for the last one, but we'll save it. Brandon likes the wild card ending. <laughs> I do. He lives for the wild card. Like sure. the Colts live for the wild card. <laughs> do you have any Spot. left? Okay, that's the last two. Okay. Ancient Aliens and SpongeBob. <laughs> Those are definitely wild cards. Okay, so I'm still proud of you guys, but I think Hannah might have saved you with getting one right. <laughs> oh my god! But you know, this was tough. I don't know if I would have gotten these. Okay, so number one, uh, and this one had like almost 200 no nominations, but with 44 wins, Saturday Night Live. Oh my gosh! Oh, well, it's kind of one of those you wouldn't think of, but yeah. yeah. Um, after that, you have Frasier. Okay. Uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, duh. Uh, the Simpsons. The Simpsons out of all of them. Okay. Uh, the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Uh, Cheers. Mm -hmm. Hill Street Blues. What? West Wing. West Wing oh. is going. ER. And then the last one, and your wife, wife saved you here, Brandon. Modern Family. Number 10. Ah. There you go. Well, I think the key to this I found out was you don't pick cartoons and you go with shows that have been on for a long time. Hey, so, Simpsons is a cartoon. Because well, that's fair. Or not not children's shows, I should say. Yeah, yeah I think all, the only thing I found in common with all these shows is they had a lot of seasons because Martin Family ran a lot of seasons as well. So yeah. But you know, folks, I will say if I were to describe the Ellis's. The one I wouldn't describe them by TV. They live out there in the world. They go hiking. They actually do stuff with their life. So <laughs> I picked a mean one on you guys, but I'm still proud. And thank you, Hannah, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. All right, Brandon, do you want to share with the fans the exciting podcast we've been waiting to air? I mean, this one I think is going to be good. Folks, we've been we've gone back to drawing boards on this one. We've spent some numerous hours researching. And we are heading south of the border today. Oh. Talking about our boy Pablo Escobar. Mmm. King of cocaine. Yeah, buddy. Oh, yeah. Um, and also, Brandon, a big fact we're going to have to promote on social media this week. 
we have hit over a thousand listeners. Oh, let's go. Let's go. So thank you folks for listening in. We really appreciate it. But uh, yeah, Brandon, we might have made over five bucks so far. So pretty big deal. And hey, the Mississippi River starts to trickle. <laughs> All right. Pablo Emilio Escobar Gaviria. Woo. What a name. What a name. Was born on December 1st, 1949 in Rio Negro, Colombia. Have you ever been to Colombia, Brandon? I have not, but one of my coaches, his wife is from there. Really? Well, there you go. We should add her on the podcast. I don't know if she has much to say about Pablo Escobar, but. (laughs) Not long after his birth, Brandon, his family moved to a different town in Colombia. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But it was a suburb of uh, what's that? What's this gang called? Uh, the Medin or Medin? Medin. So it was a suburb of Medin is where he grew up. Okay, his dad was a farmer, and his mom was a school teacher, which uh, interesting, ironic. <laughs> so I, while in his teen years, he began a life of crime. Of course, his early illegal activities included selling fake diplomas. That's a new one. Uh, smuggling stereo equipment and stealing tombstones, tombstones to resell. Man, that's quite a rap sheet already. Brandon, did they do those things in Oklahoma? Uh, sell fake diplomas and <laughs> steal tombstones? <laughs> Only on Fridays. <laughs> I feel like uh, fake diplomas. That's interesting. Today, I feel like with technology, like if anybody asked for a diploma, they would, you know, get it online. So I don't know if it'd work, but. Uh, I guess I can see, like, for hiring. That's kind of interesting. There may be a market for that. It's not, yeah, it kind of sounds almost like the fake ID kind of thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1974, his first arrest was made. He was caught stealing cars. Ha, that'll get you every time. Get you every time. As the cocaine industry grew in Colombia because of its proximity to Peru, Ecuador, and Bolivia, which, Brandon, if you didn't put together, they're major growers of, is it coca? Uh, from which cocaine is derived. So Escobar became involved in drug smuggling in the mid-1970s. He helped find, found, founded the crime organization that later became known as the Medill Cartel. Brandon, would you like to share about the, his cartel and what they were kind of known for? Yeah. The Medellin Cartel, um, as Sam was saying, was founded in Medellin, Colombia, uh, again, Sam and I, neither of us are Spanish speakers native. So <laughs> Duolingo our, at best. <laughs> we're trying our best. Mm-hmm. Um, it's found led by Pablo Escobar. Um, it was considered one of the first major drug cartels, and it had multiple people that were involved with it. Um, Jorge Vesquez, Juan Vesquez, mm-hmm. uh, Jose Rodriguez Gancha, and Carlos Lajer were also big members of it. Um and the cartel operated from about 1970 to 1993. Um, 1993, spoiler alert. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll find out later in the podcast what happened in 93. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the organization started out smuggling network in 1970. It wasn't until 1976 that they got involved in cocaine. And that's really when their organization just blew up mm-hmm. with uh, profits. Um, at the height, they were bringing $60 million daily in drug profits. Well, it's crazy. You know, Brandon, I think most people are like me and recognize the name Pablo Escobar, but I didn't really know. I couldn't tell you much about him. But supposedly to some reports, 
he his net worth grew to $25 billion. I mean, that's not a that's not a joke. That's not a that's not a dime dropped in the hat there. <laughs> well, it's just crazy to me to think about that kind of money back then and then think about all the networks they had, where it was going, mm-hmm. just the sheer business operation of that is insane. I mean, they really dominated the cocaine market, and that's like maybe an understatement. Um, his lifestyle supported the theory too. He had a seven thousand acre estate called Hacienda Napoles, if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, we probably should have had someone that speaks better Spanish uh, come on the show. <laughs> uh, it was named after uh, Naples, Italy, though, uh, but he located in Colombia. It was reportedly cost $63 million. This estate featured a soccer field, dinosaur statues, an artificial lake, a bullfighting arena, an airstrip, and a tennis court, of course. <laughs> Uh, Brandon, can you imagine having any of those things in your backyard? <laughs> I would love just to have half. We would like to just own a home. <laughs> I'd just like to own a home at this point. We're in the wrong industry. <laughs> um, the property also had a zoo that housed giraffes, hippopotamuses, and camels and other animals. So this sounds more like a city. <laughs> yeah. Um, goodness gracious. All right. So Escobar also funded various products projects to aid the poor, earning him comparisons to like Robin Hood. That perception helped him win the election of an alternate seat in the country's Congress in 1982. <laughs> so he was uh, involved in politics as well. Uh, however, Pablo was a ruthless drug lord, so don't let the Robin Hood fool you. He was known to handle problems with silver bribes and lead bullets. He came into contact with government officials, policemen, civilians. One time in 1989, the cartel reportedly placed a bomb aboard an airplane in an attempt to kill an informant. More than 100 people were killed on that flight situation. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is like, I mean, terrorist, terrorism before we knew it. <laughs> um, this started to get the United States' attention, however. So, you know, this might have been a bad move on his part. The U.S. decided he was the top drug trafficker on their radar. Pablo Escobar was quoted as saying, would rather have a grave in Colombia than a jail cell in the U.S. <laughs> wow. I know. that's a, That's got to be one of the all-time best criminal quotes, I feel like. <laughs> um, amid the growing bloodshed, a massive manhunt was undertaken to find Escobar, while the government also began negotiations for his surrender. In June 1991, on the same day that the Colombian Congress voted... Uh, to forbid the country's new constitution, Escobar surrendered and was subsequently jailed. Okay, so here's here's kind of the twist in the story, all right? His imprisonment had little effect on his criminal activities and, most importantly, his lifestyle. Okay, this was his prison. He was allowed to build a luxurious prison, which became known as the La Cathedral. The facility included a nightclub, a sauna, waterfall, and soccer field. It had telephones, computers, and fax machines. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so basically what happened is the U.S. didn't realize he just built a second home. <laughs> wow. And they thought, you know, it was supposed to be jail, but it wasn't, uh, uh, what would you say? It wasn't, um, it wasn't seen over. <laughs> 
So this became was because Pablo negotiated a huge plot of land that can use to build himself the prison. So he built his own prison using his own funds, and he contracted his own people uh, to do all this. Okay, so the government pretty much didn't say anything. They just said, yeah, he's in jail. However, after Escobar tortured and killed two cartel members at the Lock Cathedral, so he literally tortured people in his supposedly jail, officials decided to move him to a less accommodating prison. After the American government found out about these things that had pressure to the Colombian government, the Colombian president at the time decided to move Pablo to a real prison. Before he could be transferred, Escobar escaped custody in July 1992. Brandon, did you, uh, have you heard about his like famous escape kind of thing? I knew he escaped, but I can't remember how he escaped. I, I feel like there's a lot of like folklore to it all that, but here's what we got. On the evening of the big escape, the Colombian army arrived at Pablo Escobar's prison to escort him. However, Pablo's hand-picked prison guards pointed their weapons at them and demanded they leave because they were trespassing. <laughs> so the government was trespassing in Pablo Escobar's prison. <laughs> This oh just sounds God. really backwards. <laughs> and under Pablo's agreement with the government, this was uh, kind of true. Um, the army would not leave. Instead of storming the prison, they sent in the vice secretary of justice and the prison director, which this prison director had to been one of the worst prison directors ever because <laughs> I wouldn't say he was doing a good job. As always, Pablo first tried reasoning with the men. He Supposedly might have even offered a bribe to make it go away, of course. But when both men refused to concede, things quickly escalated. Shortly after negotiations broke down, Pablo tied up the men, or had them tied up. They acted as an insurance policy, so like as hostages, that Pablo needed to make it out of his prison alive. If they had the lives of both important men, then they knew the Colombian army wouldn't storm the prison. They could maybe get out safely. Okay, so everything, uh, nighttime came. Escobar calmly grabbed the men and led them through the escape route he built during the construction phase. Are you putting this together, Brandon? They made an escape route when he built the prison. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So he was ready. Uh, a rigged, weakly martyred wall aided their escape into the night. Uh, Pablo directed his guards to leave uh, out of the perimeter safely. While this happened, Pablo and his brother Roberto and eight more of Pablo's men fled into the fog. Soon, a huge uh, bang surrounded as the Colombian army tore down the entrance to Pablo Escobar's jail. So they they come through the jail, but he's gone. Okay, so they searched every room and, you know, didn't find anybody. So for 12 hours, the army finally realized Pablo Escobar and his men are not at the prison. They're at his house. Okay, so uh, supposedly Escobar and his men were smoking uh, cigars and swimming in his pool. <laughs> <laughs> while everybody's storming the prison. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, they they uh, this is where I get a little lost here. So the commotion of the soldiers stormed the prison, left nothing, and people were wounded. Monks turned what was left into the building later on. So later on, they turned that into a church and a cafeteria and stuff. So that building's still there today. It's used wow. for monks. That's so pretty cool. Monks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so what happened is they, uh, they stormed, you know, where Escobar was living and, uh, and took them all, took them all out basically. So, um, and then, uh, but where the monks live, 
there is supposedly a uh, there's Pablo Escobar's fur hat, and there's a photo of him, and there's a quote: "Those who don't know their history are condemned to repeat it." So mm. I'll let you take that for what it is. <laughs> um. So, anyways, uh, on December second, nineteen ninety three, Escobar uh, celebrated his forty fourth birthday. So they they basically had you know they had. Well, I'll get to it. So um, he was enjoying cake, wine, and marijuana, of course. Classic. Yep. The next day in his hideout, uh, the, well, the hideout was discovered. Colombian forces stormed the building, and Escobar and his bodyguard managed to get to the roof. A chase and gunfire ensued, and Escobar was fatally shot. Um, some, however, speculate he took his own life, but regardless, he died on the roof of his unbelievable estate. His house. Hacienda. I feel like they, if they haven't made a movie about this, they should. <laughs> there, there's definitely something made about it. Yeah. So, uh, sorry for the confusion at then, but basically, like I said, uh, it took days for them to figure out Escobar and his men were just partying it up. But, uh, yeah, the, the prison, or prison in quotation marks, is now a monastery. So, there you go. Uh, crazy. The cocaine industry, and I assume, Brandon, the cocaine industry had entered the U.S., and that's why the U.S.'s attention was caught uh, yes. as well. So It is crazy to think about like that. It's so dramatic. Like, mm-hmm. the way he goes out is like in a hail of gunfire. Yeah. It was very, um, it's kind of the way you kind of wanted someone that famous and crazy to go out, I guess. Or it was fitting, yeah, I should so say. But They have to go out big. Yeah. 44th birthday. I got to tell you, he's not the youngest person we've covered. <laughs> he is not. In fact, he may be a little bit on the older side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, folks, thank you again for listening and being over our thousand listen. But uh, signing off of Do You Know the Mob, my name is Sam Bratton. And this is Brandon Ellis. Catch you later.